Hello, welcome to the Growing Design Podcast, where we help you grow your design agency. If you want to learn how to price your services, how to sell your expertise, and how to attract the right type of clients, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Ed Orozco. Let's get started. And we're live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Growing Design. Today, we're going to be talking about sales enablement with Crystal Nicosi. Crystal, can you introduce yourself for the audience, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, Crystal Nicosi, um, I'm a sales enablement leader. Um, and I have uh, been doing sales enablement for around five years or so. Um, I have a very heavy sales background as well. So I always like to say that I'm a salesperson at heart. Um, I, you know, prior to getting into sales enablement, I, I was a seller. So I started out as a BDR, worked through the sales path, um, eventually becoming um, an enterprise AE. And, uh, you know, I had sort of all of this knowledge and like, what do I do with it? And uh, didn't want to be a manager. So sales enablement was this kind of cool thing coming out into, um, you know, with large organizations um, at that time. And it was something so new and wasn't even defined. Um, but what we did know about it, I thought it would be really exciting and I could pass along everything I had learned. Um, so got into sales enablement and it is sort of now my, you know, new passion um, because I still get to work with salespeople, um, but I also get to align, um, you know, other departments and, and, you know, create this sort of ecosystem, um, where, you know, the entire organization is, is, you know, aligned. So it's good. How would you explain sales enablement to someone who has no idea about sales? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think you're going to go, you're going to hear a lot of different, you know, definitions of sales enablement. And it really depends on the organization, um, you know, the different nuances to sales enablement. But I would say just a very basic, um, simplistic explanation is um, it's it's just an iterative process um, where uh, sales reps are being provided with, you know, what they need to have a better sales conversation. So that could include tools, that could include, um, you know, data analysis, it could include content, um, training, um, and then obviously, you know, sales enablement kind of serves as that bridge between, you know, marketing and sales, product and sales, um, you know, not so much with HR, but like learning and development and sales. So it's, you know, there's, there's quite a bit to it, but really at the end of the day, it comes down to helping those sales reps have better sales conversations. Gotcha. So do you think sales enablement is only for um, big corporations or big sales team with a lot of people? Or do you think there's a, there's a part of sales enablement that would make sense for smaller teams, like say startups or agencies in the, in the case of um, a lot of people in our audience are, are, coming from the UX agency background. Um, so do you think there, there's, uh, there's a value in applying sales enablement in a small team? I think so. Absolutely. Um, anytime you have a salesperson, there's always going to be, um, you know, a, a, a small amount of sales enablement that's involved, you know, um, you know, you may want to uh, try to get, you know, a, an existing employee to maybe wear another hat, um, you know, just to save on cost. But, um, you know, you could think about sales enablement in terms of just that, just providing better messaging, right? Um, helping them have better sales conversations. And the way that you can, you know, do that, again, is with content. I think um, a lot of organizations, um, even large organizations, small, you know, startups, uh, the the biggest issue that has always been there is that when content is put out, um, you know, whether it's like on a new feature or a new product update or, you know, a rollout of something, um, you know, new, uh, it's always delivered to sales in with a marketing slant. And, you know, salespeople are a different animal. 
Um, you have to be able to, you know, they're essentially like your customer, right? You have to be able to speak to them in a way that they get it in a way that, um, you know, it makes sense for them. It, it kind of solves that. So what for them? And I think marketing has always struggled with that. So I think with any startup that, you know, you, you really should start there, any content, um, any conversation, you know, guides or scripts, um, you know, learning your buyer. I think all of that just, you know, you can do it. You just need to keep in mind that you have to deliver it in a sales slant and not so much in a marketing slant, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I was just kind of thinking that when you're when you're talking about the way marketing um, communicates, it's mm-hmm. a more sort of like salesy type of uh, use of the language. So they're trying to simplify the concept for a more. I guess if I if I'm looking at a, at a sales funnel, marketing is always at the top. So the message that they they have a very simplified version of the message. But when you're already having a sales conversation the buyer is at a later stage in their decision process, which mm-hmm. means that the amount of details that they need and has to be deeper. They need to understand better what you're selling. Do, would you, would you agree? A hundred percent. So, um, you know, uh, a couple of statistics are floating out there, but, um, you know, 70% of all target buyers, um, you know, they're, they have already made a decision on what to buy, um, or even who to buy it for by the time they ever talk to a sales rep. Um, and so, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you solve for that? Right. How do you solve? So that way, when the salesperson finally does talk to them, um, you know, how can we sort of leverage getting that time back, um, or helping them to maybe shift that last 30%, um, into, you know, making a buying decision for us. Um, and it's, you know, it is sort of like a, um, it is a balance of, um, you know, great, you know, marketing material and, and sort of the sales conversations. Um, but I think what it really boils down to is understanding your target buyer, right? Really understanding your target buyer. Um, I'm talking, you know, create a, a playbook, right? Create a sales playbook for your target buyer um, or your persona. Um, you know, if you're, you know, selling to, you know, just the global head of, you know, sales development, you want to know what is their pain? What are their KPIs? What are their use cases? Um, you know, what are, uh, you know, any objections? Who is the competition? Um, you know, you want to have all of that completely outlined um, before you can even begin creating content and having, you know, great sales conversations um, because you're, you're building content around that. So um, I would say, you know, definitely start with that target buyer and, and understanding them, you know, completely. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought up understanding the buyer because usually the more you understand your buyer, the more... Um, specific your offerings are going to be. The more you understand the buyer, the more it makes sense for you to develop your product in a way that meets their needs um, as a as a buyer. So mm-hmm. something um, a recurring theme in the in the podcast is recommending uh, for agencies and and freelancers and consultants and whatnot to specialize to figure out how to sort of cater to a smaller portion of the market, but but better. So be more specific for less people and totally dominate that that small niche. And then, you know, as you grow, you can expand and and maybe go after other um, parts of the market. But at the beginning, it's very important for you to be very specific because the most specific, the most specific you are, the easiest it is for you to develop a, a more um convincing i don't know if convincing is the word but a a more powerful message absolutely absolutely i mean you know something else to also consider is let's say you have a team of you know three or four sales reps right you know pretty pretty small they're doing their own prospecting and they're closing deals um something else you could do is each individual seller could actually specialize in a particular persona or a particular industry. So that way, um, you know, you're sort of attacking a couple of different verticals. 
um, you know, at the same time. Um, of course, that does involve, um, you know, a little more content, a little more training um, by the sales enablement person, but you you could also consider that as well. Um, but yes, you're 100% spot on. If, you know, if you do not understand your buyer, there is absolutely nothing that you could say to them that is going to, um, you know, get them on your side, that is they're going to give you the time to you know, partner with them. Um, you know, your product could be amazing, but if, you know, you don't know how to communicate the value to them, then there's, there's nothing, you know, your competition is going to win every single time. So it's absolutely critical to make sure that that messaging is on point that the market, um, you know, the marketing research, um, on buyers, um, is always and readily available and then where sales enablement comes in is being able to take that sort of buyer intelligence um, and all of that data that marketing has already, um, you know, put together and to be able to sort of, um, you know, convert it into what is going to be the, you know, the so what of it for my sales team. How is my sales team going to be able to take all of this data and run with it in their sales conversations? So. Yeah. So it's really, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're that bridge, you're kind of the, you know, sales enablement is really holding kind of all these departments together. Um, because really when you think about it, when you think about the marketing, um, you know, discipline and, and sales disciplines, they're so different, right? They weren't built to work together. You know, when, when you have like a, you know, you think about marketing people and they are, you know, they, they love playing by the rules. They, they are more long-term thinking, um, and you have a salesperson who is the complete opposite, right? They're, you know, they're more opportunistic. They think short term, um, you know, they don't necessarily like playing by the rules. So you're dealing with two completely different mindsets. So it's really important. And, and that's going to be reflected in, in content that's created, right? So it's really important to have sort of that, that, that middle who can take all of that marketing and then sort of it comes out the other end where salespeople can consume it. So I don't know if that makes sense. But. <laughs> yeah, totally does. I love the term uh, buyer intelligence. It implies that you're actually understanding who you're doing business with. Um, yeah. Can we clarify a little bit the concept of playbook? I um you sure. mentioned that when you were saying that, you know, different sales rep can go into different niches. I would think that each one of them would have their own separate playbook? It, would that be the yeah. case? Um, you know, it depends on the organization, right? Um, you know, some organizations focus more on, um, you know, uh, a broad sort of grand sales playbook. Um, and some organizations, you know, definitely get, you know, more granular in terms of, you know, each vertical has its own playbook. So if you're selling to HR, HR will have its own playbook. If you're selling to marketing, marketing will have its own playbook. If you're selling to IT, IT will have its own playbook. So it really depends on, you know, what industries you're selling to. If you only have one industry, then you have one playbook. Um, but if you're selling to, um, you know, multiple industries, I personally recommend having a playbook for each. Um, now, you also need to think about, um, so a sales playbook can consist of, um, you know, how does the sales rep do their job? What is sort of their process look like? What tools are they using? Um, you know, what is the process of entering in a new lead um, into Salesforce? Or, you know, so you have kind of that, that element of a sales playbook, and that can definitely be more broad because that's going to apply to everybody, right? It's, it's a one-size-fits-all there. Here's how you do the steps one through 20 in. And here, you know, you're, you're kind of off to the races, but then the other element to playbooks is again, like what I said. So HR, um, something that we did at tribal, which I'm sure you'll remember is we developed and created, you know, playbooks based on, um, industry or based on your target persona. So, um, if an organization was selling to HR, um, you know, we, uh, got very detailed and, you know, what are the pains that are, um, you know, prevalent for a CHRO, you know, what are they measured by? What is going to drive them to make a buying decision? Um, you know, what value proposition um, is going to resonate with them? What common objections are, 
you know, our sales reps going to see from this buyer um, specifically? Because a common objection for, you know, a CH from a CHRO is going to be extremely different from an objection from a CMO. And you have to understand as a sales rep, um, you know, how to navigate both of those. So that's why I would recommend, you know, for each target persona to create your own individual playbook. And that means by, um, again, by using some some type of codification or, you know, taxonomy, um, but it's got to, you've got to touch on, you know, all of those things like, you know, pain, KPIs, use cases, value prop objections, um, you know, partners, um, you know, and even any content that can be used specifically for that persona. So build out, you know, those, those playbooks. You're saying a lot of very interesting things that I'm pretty sure a lot of people are not even familiar with. Um, just the concept of a playbook, I can guarantee that it's not something that uh, it's been it's been done on on most agencies. So um, uh, let me see if I got the the concept uh, correctly. So a sales playbook is nothing more than just a list of everything that you're going to need in order to. Um, move the lead or move the prospect through your sales funnel. So if you have a sales funnel that consists of five steps, step number one uh, probably is going to be the, the the first introductory call and you're going to mention this and this and this and you're going to probably send them this presentation and you're going to probably send them this article. Step number two, you're going to send this other presentation and maybe mention this other thing in the, in the, in the call Step number, and, and so on and so forth. So it's basically like a set of instructions together mm-hmm. with the content that you're going to be using in, each, in those instructions for whoever is conducting the sales process to be able to keep moving that lead through the pipeline. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a nutshell, yes, that's, that's what it is. But a playbook is also giving you, um, you know, the ammunition, if you will, right, to uh, be able to have better conversations. So it's not, you know, it's not only you don't want to, um, you know, treat every, uh, you know, buyer the same, meaning the same exact Um, you know, process, it's going to be a little bit different. What's going to, um, you know, what is going to be different, obviously, is the conversations, the type of conversations that you're having. Um, But a playbook is where if a new hire came in, and they didn't really know anything about the business, you could take that playbook and say, hey, one of our target personas is the CHRO. So here is our sales playbook. Read it study it. And at the end of, you know, uh, reading it and studying it, they will have a much better idea of, you know, all the processes that they need to do within existing tools that you have. They will have a much better idea on who is the CHRO, what makes them a target, you know, persona for us. How, how can I, um, influence their buying decision? How can I resonate with, you know, what is top of mind for them, they will be able to have all of that knowledge by the time they're completed with the sales playbook. Gotcha. Um, So who would be responsible for doing all this, for putting together all that information? Yeah, I mean, usually it's sales enablement. Um, If the sales enablement function is not already implemented, um, I've seen some organizations, um, you know, somebody in marketing is typically handling it. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of salespeople, um, which is really interesting. I don't see a lot of organizations where sales will start this process. It's usually marketing that will start this process for, um, sales. And a lot of it is because marketing has so much more data on the buyer, right? They already have access to all of sort of that buyer and market intelligence. So it's a little bit easier for them to put it together. Um, but if, you know, I mean, obviously bringing somebody in who is sales enablement focused um, is going to be, you know, your best bet. So what you're saying is the first step before you even think of implementing sales enablement is to really understand your target audience. So go out there and research the hell out of your target persona. A hundred percent. So really, uh, the the way that I like to think about it is if you do not have a sales enablement function, um, 
there's, you know, three sort of, you know, big pillars that I would say. Um, and then there's a lot of little branches that sort of come off of each. But I would say the first thing you need to do is sit down as an organization and create some goals, right? Um, you know, uh, have, you know, every department head there and, you know, marketing, sales, product and, and learning and development and come together and create some common, some common goals that you want to achieve um, and really have it be revenue centric um, instead of marketing centric or instead of sales centric. It's got to be it's there's got to be a broader vision there. Um, and, you know, that's why you're seeing a lot of job titles coming out now where you have like a, you know, um, a CRO, uh, you know, a chief revenue officer. You're having, um, you know, sales enablement managers, um, you know, who uh, who have revenue somewhere in their job title, because a lot of teams are now coming together and saying we can't have any, you know, we can't have sales enablement be, um, you know, a, a slant in any way. So the one common thing that we can agree on is revenue. So create some, um, you know, create some of those goals. Um, talk about, you know, metrics. Talk about, um, you know, what, what, you know, some indicators that um, are going to help you achieve your goal. But that's sort of first pillar. Um, the second I would say is definitely understanding your buyer, right? A full analysis into your target personas, um, because you need to learn how to have a conversation with them. Um, and marketing is a great resource for that because they already have all of that intelligence. They just may not know how to put it in a way that is going to help the sales rep have a better conversation. Um, so once you have a full understanding there, then you need to look at the other pillar, which is um, your content, right? You need to look at what type of content do I need to put out? Um, you know, is it, uh, you know, uh, you know, blog? Is it, uh, you know, landing pages from, you know, is it a chat bot on the website? Um, you know, tools, um, you know, what, you know, what uh, content tools and resources um, do you need to put together that make the most sense for your team and, you know, for the organization? Um, and then, you know, once you sort of and then, like I said, there's a lot of different branches that come off of each pillar. Um, but then, you know, once you've created that, then what that allows for you to do is to really create um, almost like an SLA um, between sales and marketing right, to where you're really defining, um, you know, creating a lot of definitions, you know, what is an MQL, what is an SQL, what is, um, you know, uh, sales accepted mean, um, and, uh, it, you know, it allows for you to build something out like that, and then I think once you sort of have all of that in place, then, you know, you have a pretty good foundation for getting a sales enablement function going, um, and at least having that understanding of what sales enablement really means um, and what it can do for your organization. And then, of course, as time goes on, you know, a lot of teams will develop things based on, um, you know, what they're seeing and, uh, you know, um, how they need to pivot and shift. I love that you are mentioning that revenue is the one common denominator that everyone should be um, aimed for in the organization uh, and stop thinking about, oh yeah, you know, uh, visits to our website or downloads or, you know, those metrics that ultimately, if you don't have transactions, if you don't have um, revenue, you're not really, you're not really achieving anything. Um, exactly. And that's the one thing that all departments have in common. So I think it's super important for all departments, especially uh, sales, marketing and product or in the case of agency, sales, marketing, and delivery, or production, or whoever creates the whatever you sell, to get together and understand what you're selling, to whom, and what's the best way to to cater to their needs. Um, another thing, you, well, you mentioned a few acronyms that I'm sure a lot of people are not uh, aware of. Uh, there, <laughs> there's SLA and M MQL. I know um, MQL is a marketing qualified lead. Would yes. And then yeah. SLA. So, and SLA is just a service level agreement. Um, so it basically, you know, you'll you find that you know common even between um, you know a salesperson and their customer. It's basically just um, you know you're listing out everything that you agree on and everything that's going to happen 
Um, and that's why I say, you know, it, it, it allows for sales and marketing um, to create that, you know, service level agreement between, you know, the two departments. So um, that way everyone sticks to kind of what they're doing and, and they understand. Uh, and, you know, it's I, I would encourage that. I would definitely encourage that. So that, that's like the rules of the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's how the, the, how sales and marketing will uh, work together. Sort of like standard operating procedure, SOP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To throw in exactly. a few more acronyms. Uh, <laughs> and then MQL, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that's uh, marketing qualified lead means that mm -hmm. to marketing standards and, and based on what marketing considers a, a quality lead, that's someone who should go into um, the sales, uh, the sales part of the funnel. So it goes from the top yeah. of the funnel to uh, the sales part of the funnel. Exactly. So if, um, you know, if, if there's an email campaign going out and you have someone that's interested, um, you know, they fill out, you know, whatever form or they come to you, um, you know, that sort of inbound marketing, um, you know, or that inbound lead, I should say, um, then that would be considered an MQL, right? A marketing qualified lead. And then they would then, you know, push it through the funnel to um, most likely, a, you know, a, a BDR or an SDR of an organization. So business development representative or sales development rep, um, because that that function and that role is your first salesperson that will talk to the client. Um, typically after that, it then gets passed along to, um, you know, an, uh, an account executive, right? It could be a field sales rep. It could be an inside sales rep. There's, you know, it, again, depending on the size of your organization and, and how things are structured. Um, but then that lead then moves to an SQL, which is a sales qualified lead. So, um, it, you know, there's different sort of, you know, um, stages, if you will, of, of the leads that, that get passed through. Um, once the BDR or SDR sort of qualifies um, that particular lead, um, then they'll pass it along to their AE. And then their AE will say, okay, this is great. I set up a discovery call with them. So I'm going to accept this lead. I'm going to accept this. And then that's how your BDR and SDR get that get comped and you know you can travel this lead throughout the entire you know sales process. I want to point out that you're sorry was that if that's helpful. <laughs> oh yeah, that, very. Uh, I just want to point out that now that you walked us through the process, each one of these steps is a filter. So in each one of these steps there's an opportunity for you to discover that the lead that came through your marketing might not be the right fit for your organization because believe it or not, a lot of UX agencies have the tendency to just work with whoever comes, whoever rings uh, rings on their door, whoever writes a message on their website. It doesn't matter, and it it shouldn't be the case because you might up you might end up working with a client that you don't know how to um, service properly, or it mm -hmm. might be a client that for whatever reason is not a right fit for our, your organization either. You know, it's someone who doesn't have the budget to work with you or is someone that requires a type of technology that you're not familiar with. Um, for whatever reason, there are there can be, you know, thousands of reasons why a, a lead might not be right for your organization. So it's very important for, for uh, listeners to understand that in your process, you need to put in place these filters so that you can make sure that the person, as the lead moves through your sales funnel, you are filtering those who are not um, are the right fit because if you agree to work with them knowingly that it's not going to be a right fit you're going to have a lot of problems and that's not going to be a profitable project and that's going to be a pain in the ass to um, to manage and that's what turns into a nightmare project that never ends that keeps changing that runs out of budget that you never get paid for and nobody wants that absolutely absolutely so sdrs and bdrs um, they typically will ask a series of maybe, you know, five to six questions. Um, they try to have really good conversations to fully understand, um, you know, what are some initiatives that, you know, that person is, uh, you know, or that buyer is trying to, you know, accomplish, um, or trying to make successful. Um, and if it makes business sense, if, you know, the the buyer is, you know, they have the budget, they have the need, uh, they could have a compelling event happening or an initiative, 
then at that point, that's when it moves along to, like I said, the AE, and then the AE will usually conduct a much, will always conduct a much deeper discovery, um, show the product if necessary. Um, but, you know, by the time it's to the AE, it's a pretty, you know, it's, it's a solid, it's a solid lead, a solid quality lead. And would all of those filters and parameters be included in the playbook? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you definitely need to de define, uh, you know, what all of those mean. You know, what is it? What is it? You know, what is what does an MQL look like? What does an SQL look like? A sales qualified lead. Um, you know, what are the um, parameters around an AE actually accepting a lead from the BDR? Um, you know, what does that look like exactly? So all of that needs to be, you know, clearly defined um, in a playbook or, um, you know, even in, uh, you know, uh, let's say some type of, you know, master document if, if, you know, you don't have a playbook, but it, all of that needs to be clearly defined. So this highlights the importance um, of marketing sales and product to have uh, communication at least um, when they're creating the playbook, because you don't, you might end up selling something that your delivery team cannot produce or cannot produce um, on following the terms that you negotiated with the client or you negotiated with the lead. So it's very important so that you don't end up because, you know, like you said, salespeople tend to be more opportunistic. They try to close the deal. They try to bring in that revenue for the company. And that's their job. You can't blame them. That's the whole reason they're there. Right. But then they're going to try to close uh, uh, a lead if they check all the boxes. Um, so you got to make sure those boxes have been approved by the delivery team or the product team or whoever is responsible for delivering. Otherwise, your client is going to be very pissed off and your delivery team is going to be very pissed off. A hundred percent. And that's why sales enablement, the sales enablement um, discipline is, uh, you know, extremely important because that is what is going to serve as the bridge between, um, you know, like I said, you know, marketing product, um, you know, customer success um, is a big one as well, because that's post-sale. That's who has to deal with the customer after they're, you know, after they bought. Um, and uh, you need to be aligned there as well, because you want to make sure that what you're, what messaging you're putting out to the sales team, that customer success is on board and they can deliver. Um, and it, it, you know, I think it sort of the, the core of all of that is creating a seamless, um, you know, customer experience, because that's, that's what's going to get them to renew. Um, that's what's going to allow for customer success or an account manager to upsell, um, you know, throughout the duration of the contract. You've got to create that amazing customer experience and that amazing customer journey. And it starts with marketing and all the way over to customer success. And that's kind of where sales enablement really is able to have their hand in all of that and to be able to orchestrate it in a way that, um, you know, all of these different disciplines who communicate so differently Sales enablement creates that streamline and uh, makes the, you know, uh, the experience that much better. So you mentioned that customer, well, the customer experience and customer success. What, in your experience, what are some really good success indicators that will tell the company, oh, we're on the right track, we're doing the right thing? Yeah, so um, I can speak from a sales enablement perspective, meaning, um you know, maybe some metrics um, that they can, you know, sort of look at. Uh, you know, I'm, I've always been part of data-driven organizations. Um, and so, uh, you know, metrics like, um, you know, maybe like a conversion rate, like a close rate, your win-loss rate, um, your competitive win-loss rate um, are, you know, some good um, indicators. Um you know, also uh, new hire onboarding, um, you know, time to first, you know, meeting booked or time to first set a sale for a new a new AE who may be coming on board. Um, those are all going to be indicators that sales enablement is, um, you know, being effective. Um, also on the customer success side, um, you know, the net promoter score. 
um, or any, um, you know, uh, sort of surveys that are going out to, you know, employees, um, you know, soliciting sort of how is sales enablement doing, um, uh, you know, direct feedback from the people that sales enablement is working with. Um, and then, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, the culture that you're trying to build, um, you know, you're getting positive feedback from everyone. Um, so, you know, it's it's a combination, I think, of, of being data driven and having specific metrics. But there's also that human element to sales enablement as well, because we work with so many different people at different, um, you know, in different spaces across the org. Um, so, you know, we sort of have to understand how to navigate each of those. Um, and feedback is, you know, really critical with that as well. Um, you know, it's a little more gray, but uh, it's definitely necessary. Yeah. So there's a lot of metrics here that you could you could start tracking. Um, I think it's not a good idea to track all of them or all of the uh, metrics. I would definitely encourage people to like rewind, um, and I'll probably add this in the in the notes in the in the show notes. Um, but there's a bunch of metrics that you can track to make sure that sales enablement, marketing, and sales um, are doing a, a good job. I would not apply all of them blindly because that uh, sometimes you can have uh, metrics that don't play well with each other. Um, let's say win-loss rate, for, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. Having a win-loss rate or low, um, uh, quote-unquote, uh, low it's not always a bad thing. It might mean that you're very selective in your process, but you just got to find out for yourself if that's the case for your business, because different businesses will have different um, parameters to what they consider a good close rate. Um, if definitely, if you're going after very like a very select type of uh, clientele, you're not going to have a high close rate. I definitely don't think like luxury goods and luxury items and, and high ticket services have a high close rate and that's the whole point they charge very high prices but they're not for everyone right so i would say that the win loss rate is more um is more indicative of yes it, are you talking to the right person right that that's always the biggest thing right are, are you even talking to the right person um but it also allows for you to see where there are gaps in maybe your sales conversations. It also allows for you to see if there are gaps um, in, uh, you know, who marketing is trying to attract. Are they attracting the right people? Um, Are they, is their messaging, um, you know, relevant? Is their messaging, um, you know, attracting the right types of people? Um, and so that's sort of what a win loss will allow for you to see, um, you know, is a couple of different areas. Um, yes, you know, you are not going to win um, every single, um, you know, deal, obviously, that walks through the door. But like to what you said, um, if it's a high end, um, you know, sort of boutique type of agency, it's not for everyone then I think what that tells you is that marketing needs to go after those who it is for and not waste time on those who it isn't for. So then again, that's where, you know, um, market intelligence and buyer intelligence come in is, um, are we even going after the right people? Are we attracting the right people? Why or why not? You know, all of that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, And that's where you'll see your win-loss rate um, you know, have, have a huge, uh, have a huge change. Gotcha. Okay. Do you have any software recommendations for people or like, do you even need a software to do this? Can you just do this on a, on Google docs or what would be your recommendation? Yeah. I mean, yes, there are sales enablement platforms out there. I honestly, I've never used one. Um, <laughs> I have used more of the sales tools. Um, so sales tools like a CRM Salesforce, which I highly, highly recommend a CRM Salesforce is definitely the go-to because if you're going to be data-driven in your approach, which every organization should be, or every, um, you know, business should be, um, you need to be data-driven and that's, you know, definitely something where I see a, a lot of mistakes happening is an organization doesn't collect enough data. 
Um, and you know, I'll kind of touch on that in a little bit, but, um, so the tools that I've used are gong, um, gong allows for you to record conversations, but it's not just a call recording tool. Um, it's very robust. Um, it allows for you to interact with your sales teams. Um, it provides, um, you know, call analysis. There's some, you know, AI happening in there. Um, it's, it's a great tool. Um, I use gong and I've also used chorus who is a competitor of gong. Um, you know, so either one, uh, just, you know, demo kind of both. I don't want to lean toward one or the other. <laughs> um, and then I would say, uh, you know, outreach, um, which, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. Um, it's basically to help you set up your, your email, your email sequences, um, it tracks, uh, you know, productivity as well, um, reply rate, open rate. Um, so sales reps have access to all of that information um, and they can, again, send their emails that way. It's, you know, you can do it where it's fully automated and that's what, you know, most will use it for. Um, but you can also customize your messaging as well. Um, so I would say Gong, Salesforce, Outreach. Um, I'm familiar with um, Highspot as well. HighSpot is a content um, repository, um, but it's very robust. You can search. Um, it will provide, um, you know, content or documents that um, that are relevant to, um, you know, partic your, your particular, um, you know, accounts. Um, so if you need to send out uh, a some type of case study to, um, you know, a, a CRO at Wells Fargo, um, high spot will, you know, provide some recommendations to you, um, you know, right there. And they'll say, Hey, send out this case study. Um, here's a case study for bank of America. They may, they might be interested in that. Um, but you know, I've heard some kind of mixed things about high spot, um, that, you know, some people love it. Some people don't really use it. Um, but essentially it is a content repository, not recommended for early stage. It's not necessary. It, it's really necessary when you start to get a ton of content created. You get a ton of case studies. Um, and, you know, literally there's thousands of, of pages of, of content and documents. Um, and you need a way to organize it. Um, and then obviously Google Drive, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm yeah. a huge, you know, Google Drive person myself. So, um, you know, if that's where you need to start, then that's where you start, you know, Google slides and create some nice looking decks um, and, you know, outline your SLAs and, and, you know, Google Docs. So, yeah, I mean, it all depends where you're what stage you're at. But those are a few tools and resources that I've accessed. Yeah, I'm going to throw another one in there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Notion and I know a lot of people are and Notion has a CRM template. Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to start with, you still don't know if you want to invest in a CRM, but you probably should. And, but let's say you're tight on cash and you want to get started with tracking your sales uh, process, definitely do it. It doesn't matter the tool even like at the end of the day, they all sort of do the same thing as your business grows and you get more complex uh, sales processes, you're going to want to start tracking all of these things that we've mentioned, all of these different metrics. But definitely don't let that sof uh, software be an excuse not to to track what's happening with your sales process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the most common mistakes that I see, um, you know, in sales enablement um, is, or, you know, with an organization is not collecting enough data. Um, you have got to be a data-driven company and, you know, let's say that you start and you're not collecting, um, data that is going to be helpful. Uh, you know, in six months, 12 months down the line, you are going to be kicking yourself when you have started growing and you need to get more targeted in your approach. Um, it, it's, it's really, it, it's critical to start collecting as much data as possible of, you know, that buyer and their, their entire journey. Absolutely. So when you're just starting out or you're, a, you're still a very small company, um, I would assume the CEO would be the person that would take the initiative to set up this entire sales infrastructure with a CRM, a playbook, uh, training the sales team. Um, do you have any advice for people who are in that position? 
So, um, I mean, it truly depends. Um, you know, at, at Tribal, we were very small and uh, you are aware. And so, you know, the CEO um, didn't, wasn't the one who sort of did all of that. I was the one who did all of that, where I went out and researched tools, um, you know, onboarded, um, doing all of that. However, um, I, that sort of, um, it reminds me that, you know, one other thing that is really important, um, if you're, even if you're a team of 10, right, if you're a team of 10, um, they're absolutely for sales enablement or a, you know, of a, a function of it is going to be implemented, then there absolutely has to be an executive buy-in, leadership buy-in, um, that this is what this sales enablement um, function is going to do. Here is what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and when. And um, and there has to be that buy-in because, you know, especially as you grow, you know, when you when you are trying to do some coaching, maybe for a sales rep who might be, you know, kind of set in their ways, if you will, um, and you're trying to do some coaching um, and, you know, it can create a little bit of friction, right? It can create a little bit of friction. Um, so it's important to have some buy-in there. It is also important to have buy-in because sales enablement, we, we need, um, you know, some sales reps time occasionally. Um, we need their feedback. We need to understand what it is that they're hearing. Um, you know, we try to minimize, uh, the time that we are taking them actually away from selling, but we definitely need that time. And so, again, sort of that leadership buy-in comes, um, you know, comes in really important. And then obviously at a higher level, uh, you know, supporting, you know, larger initiatives like product launches um, or, you know, new features, that type of thing. So um, that's, that's absolutely huge. But, you know, just to kind of go back to what you said, um, what I've seen is if it's a two-person company, you've got a, you know, a CEO and like a sales rep, um, then sure, the, the CEO would probably be the one to, you know, to be doing everything. Um, but if you have, you know, even it's like a smaller team of, you know, 10 to 50, uh, typically it's going to be someone who serves in sort of that sales enablement type of function. Um, it, you know, could be some, even somebody from the marketing team as well. Uh, it just, it, it truly depends on, you know, who has what background and who has the time to, to do this. And, um, uh, but you, they just need to look at that as an organization. Yeah. I would think it's a small sacrifice in terms of time and resources that you are going, it's, it's sort of like an investment. You're investing in the development and the growth of your own company. So yeah, you're going to have to use the time of your team, uh, to set all of these, uh, all of these processes and all of these, um, procedures. But once you do, your sales process is going to run a lot more, uh, smoothly. A hundred percent. Yep. A hundred percent. Uh, you know, the investment that you put in now it's, um, you know, and the on because it, you know, there is an ongoing piece to that, you know, you do need to, um, you know, as mark the market changes, um, you know, uh, uh, as personas, you know, change through throughout time, um, as your product changes, um, you need to be, you know, constantly iterating on these documents and, and your messaging. Um, you know, what's what could what the messaging that could be working in Q1 is no longer going to be working in Q4. So you're going to have to have someone who, you know, is updating that information and who's keeping their, you know, sort of ear to the to the ground and, and hearing what the sales reps are saying, um, you know, just as as time goes on. So I, I don't want to make it seem like it's a one shot thing, a one shot investment. Um, it is a heavy lift at the beginning if you don't have a sales enablement, you know, function. Um, but then there, you know, there's there's constant iteration. Uh, sales enablement is an iterative process, if anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a product that's alive. Um, and I feel like in order for you to make sure that you're constantly recalibrating, you have to set up a periodic review um, of all of this with your entire team. So a hundred percent. Yes. Gather all the feedback. Yeah. Yeah, sales enablement should be, um, there should be uh, a, if not weekly, um, a biweekly cadence of meeting with um, other departments. So if there's a, you know, if there's sort of a company-wide marketing meeting, sales enablement 100% needs to be in that. 
If there's a company-wide sales meeting, guess who else is in there? Product, guess who else is in there? Customer success. So, um, you know, it, it needs to happen. And most of those meetings are happening weekly anyway. So it's that's critical, though, that sales enablement attends all of those um, because that's that's how they create. Yeah, I would also like to um, maybe mention that it's a, it's probably valuable to think in terms of function. So sales enablement is a function. It's not necessarily one person. You don't need to go out and hire a sales person or a, or a sales enablement person. You can that could be a function that you can split between maybe a person of uh, that that's in marketing. And, and the CEO or someone from sales and someone from marketing. Although, as you said, it, it probably the initiative usually comes from marketing because they have all the material and they're used to researching the, the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. You don't, I mean, you don't have to hire someone specifically for sales enablement. Um, you can absolutely start with someone in marketing. Um, you know, it, it, again, it is a heavy lift. Um, and you, you know, but I've seen it done, um, you know, people from marketing typically, you know, sales enablement practitioners at this point, um, have a lot of different backgrounds, but I would say that the most common are going to be, you know, people who have a sales background or they have, um, you know, a marketing background of, of some type. Um, but again, you have, um, there's, there's actually, I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually, and there's, um, a sales enablement practitioner. Um, he is out of Israel. Um, his name is Abner. And he, he was actually an engineer prior to becoming a sales enablement practitioner. And he has a totally, you know, non-traditional background, but it works because he is so detailed and he's all about data and he's all about creating graphs and charts and, uh, you know, and then, you know, even in the sales enablement, you know, world, like, practitioners vary. Like I am almost the complete opposite where, um, I have a huge sales background, so I am less detailed, less, you know, um, I am data driven, but I guarantee you, he's like a thousand times more data driven than I am. So, you know, it, it just varies, but, uh, you know, to answer the question, hundred percent can start from marketing. Yeah. And I guess it it would also depend on, uh, the type of people that you have in your company and the type of company you are. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Crystal, thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge. It definitely um, goes to show that there's sales is as much a, a science as it is an art. And there's so yes. much you can do and implement at any level of growth uh, in your company. Um, where can people go to connect with you, ask you questions? I don't know if you want to, people to ask you questions. Yeah, but, yeah. absolutely. Um, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is where they can go. Um, you know, if you want to share, you know, my, my profile, um, you know, with anyone who, uh, you know, comes to you, by all means, go ahead and do that. Please message me. Uh, I can, um, you know, help out as much as I can to get things started. Awesome. I'll make sure to link your LinkedIn profile in the in the show notes and thanks again for your time and for sharing with us all of this um uh all of this knowledge um that's it that's it for this for this episode (laughs) thank you very much awesome thanks ed i really appreciate it take care